When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to the Mini Break, your daily podcast for the biggest storylines, results, and controversies from the tennis world. Today is Friday, January 19th, day six of the 2024 Australian Open, now officially in the books. It was both the first day of round three play in both the men's and women's singles draws, and a day that was simply far calmer than the one that preceded it. We had no top five seeds eliminated in either the men's or women's singles draws, no fifth set super breakers in any men's singles action, no top seeds having to overcome a 4-1 double break deficit like we saw on day number five either. Now, that doesn't mean we weren't treated to good tennis as fans. Certainly plenty of results I want to get into today. As always, I want to at least bring to your attention all 16 singles results we saw unfold on day number six. But I will be candid with all of you listeners. Today's episode going to be a shorter podcast. The reason for that is twofold. A, again, I think the tennis was fairly straightforward on day six. I do want to get to my four headlines. We got to talk about how that top half of the men's singles draw is absolutely loaded as we approach week number two. We are going to have three all top 16 seed battles. And in fact, seven of our eight top 16 seeds advanced to the round of 16 in the top half of the men's singles draw. The only one who didn't was Ben Shelton, who lost in five sets to 20th seeded Adrian Manorino, who has certainly played like a top 16 player over the last four, five months. So again, seven of our eight top 16 seeds, which means seven of the eight spots in the round of 16 in the top half of the men's singles draw going to be taken by players who, by seed, should have reached that round. And the last spot is, again, filled by the 20th seed, Adrian Manorino. I think it's safe to say the gap between him, Ben Shelton, not particularly large. So, I mean, again, you look forward. I That's 40 seconds on headline number one right there. And I want to talk about why I'm so excited because all of these guys seem to slowly but surely be playing their best tennis as we approach week number two. And then, of course, we got to get to the women's singles side of things, right? Mira freaking Andreeva, the 16-year-old, continues to be the story. Sabalenka, Goff, they continue to cruise. There might have been a couple of other storylines you might have missed out on. Another three-set comfort behind win for Krejcikova. Anissa Mova continuing to do her thing. We got plenty of things to discuss, but part two of why this podcast is going to be on the shorter side today is that we've got our first broadcast of the 2024 college tennis season, a doubleheader in Stillwater, Oklahoma, as the Oklahoma State men's and women's programs going to be competing back-to-back the men first at 4 p.m. Eastern time, taking on top 25 Middle Tennessee, the women afterwards, a top five showdown as they are the fifth-ranked team in the country 
they're going to be taking on fourth-ranked Michigan. I had thought those matches were going to be on our Cracked Rackets YouTube channel, but folks, we got the call up to the big leagues. We are going to be on ESPN Plus right alongside, let me say that again, right alongside that Australian Open action. So folks, I'm going to keep it real simple for you. As the Australian Open gets underway, just do us a favor, click open a tab, Oklahoma State versus Michigan. You'll be able to hear my dulcet tones ring through that ESPN platform and certainly wouldn't hurt our viewership if we could get all of you tennis fans tuning in to watch ESPN anyways to watch the Australian Open. Just click open that college tennis action as well. I promise you the level will be worthwhile, the excitement, the energy. You're going to click on college tennis. You're not going to want to miss anything else we do moving forward. And if you do click on the match, please tweet at us at Crack Rackets at AL Gruskin. I would love to be tagged by one of you mini break podcast listeners tuning into a college tennis match for the first time. So again, why is this show going to be on the shorter side? A, I thought the tennis was pretty straightforward on day six and B, we got our first college tennis matches. 4 p.m. Eastern time start. Oklahoma State versus the Middle Tennessee men immediately. Well, not immediately. They're going to let the teams warm up. But followed by Oklahoma State versus Michigan. Be sure to tune into our coverage on the Watch ESPN app. Boy, does that make me proud to say out loud. Anyways, again... Day six might have been straightforward. I want to catch all of you listeners up on everything in case you might have missed out on Thursday night's late action here in the United States. Of course, the reason we're able to do that day in, day out is because of the support we get from all of you listeners and because of the support we get from our dear friends at Tennis Point, tennis-point.com. The promo code is CR15 for all of the latest and greatest products in the tennis world. As you noticed in the introduction to today's podcast, I'm amped about the top half of the Australian Open men's singles draw, so that's where I want to start today's analysis as we reflect on day number six. Again, it was a very straightforward day. All of our top 10 men's seeds in action, and we had five of our top 10 men's seeds, Djokovic, Sinner, Rublev, Tsitsipas, Demonauer, they dropped a combined zero. Let me say that again. They dropped a combined zero sets, zero sets on their ways to round four, respectively. Let's go from top to bottom here as we rapid fire through these results. Novak Djokovic just played his cleanest match from start to finish that we've seen so far in Melbourne. A 3-3-6 and six clean kill over 30th seeded Tomas Martin Echeverry. Now, it was... The third career head-to-head between the two. Djokovic had won the first two pretty comfortably last season as well. One on hard court, one on clay. This result, nothing different. All due respect to Tomas Martinacheveri, who was in the fight physically. There were extended rallies, 10, 15-shot rallies. Couldn't do anything to penetrate the court comfortably with repetitive success against the top seed. And that's how you know the top seed is calibrating into week two mode. He was moving so efficiently. Every forehand well placed, changes, changing directions accordingly. The drop shots, the movement forward, the plus one on serve. You look at the stats for Novak Djokovic in this match on serve in particular. Again, clean kill. Didn't face a single break point against a guy who is a top 25 returner by break percentage amongst top 100 players on the ATP Tour right now. Are you surprised? Absolutely not. It's the 63rd time in Novak Djokovic's career. 63rd time he has advanced to round four at a major. That's ridiculous. Like, that stat alone, again, how many majors has he played in his career? Novak Djokovic, round of 128 matches. He's played 73 majors in his career 
and he's made at least the second week, at least the second week of now 63 of them. Sometimes you ask yourself, what are we even doing here? That is ridiculous consistency. That alone, again, maybe that's the stat we should start with in talking about the greatest of all time case for Novak Djokovic. I think it's undisputed. Again, Djokovic untested as he advances to the round of 16, 3-3-6. He is looking like the top seed, looking like the favorite that Tennis Abstract has him as. 34.9% favorite. He leads Yannick Sinner at 30.5%. And obviously, Tennis Abstract's extraordinarily high on Yannick Sinner as he beat Djokovic twice to end last season. Sinner, he's looked real good so far through three rounds. Another match that sees him drop just four games, face four break points, fight them all off on his way to a loved one in three win over 26th seeded Sebi Baez. Through nine sets of tennis, Yannick Sinner's been broken once so far here in 2024. He's moving well. The ball is exploding off of both wings. That ball was on the body of Sebi Baez before he knew what to do with it. He just could not swing freely in his forehand because he never had time to at any point of this match. The backhand overwhelmed by the pace, the heaviness of the center ball as well. Sinner was just, he was in free flow. He could do whatever he wanted at any moment. And that is the best feeling on a tennis court. The 22-year-old has brought in the level we saw from the end of last season to the start of this year, just rolling into the round of 16. Now, obviously, things going to step up in terms of a level of competition as he gets a guy who made the semis of this event last year in Karen Hatchinov in round four. Still, Tennis Abstract has Sinner as a 93.7% favorite entering that match. That's Djokovic. In fact, it trails only Novak Djokovic, who's a 94% favorite over Adrian Manorino. It's Djokovician-type numbers, all of the stats, all of the eye test things. Everything's pointing to Yannick Sinner is very clearly a Tier 1 guy and is on a collision course with Novak Djokovic in that semifinal round. And then again, you roll the balls out, you let it lie as it may when you get a shot at the world number one in the 23-time Grand Slam champion Sinner. Again, what can I tell you? He looked dominant. He was always in control. 0-1-3, he advances, of course, in his immediate quarter, the immediate threat. I would say are both Andre Rublev and Alex Demonauer. Rublev, 2-6-4 over Sepi Korda. Demonauer, 3-3-1, another straight set victory for him after he dominated Matteo Arnaldi in round two as well. Here's the twofold analysis. Demonauer looks on a mission. Diebenauer looks determined. He knows he is playing his best tennis of his career right now. He knows the magic in the air that exists when he is in Melbourne as an Australian competing in front of a home crowd. And he does not want to waste this opportunity. It's all business out there. Wasted no time. Caboli just couldn't hurt him with any sort of frequency. Diebenauer's forehand, his serve were the two biggest weapons on the court. And for a rare time in in, uh, Caboli's career, he faced someone who could match and even maybe exceed his movement on the court as well. Everything Caboli did, Diebenauer did better. Moved forward decisively whenever Caboli tried to float anything. Used his speed so well to pinch forward. Again, Diebenauer's playing inspired tennis. But here's the thing. Andre Rublev played excellent against Sebi Korda in a 6-2-7-6-6-4 victory. And you look for Andre Rublev's quietly. This is a top half of the draw where five different guys, obviously Djokovic, but five different guys have made at least 10 round of 16 appearances in their careers at the majors. 
Rublev is second to Novak Djokovic on that number. This is going to be the 13th round of 16 appearance for him at the majors. He's won his last five round of 16s, nine and three in his career overall in the round. On the flip side, you look for Alex Diemenauer. He's into his seventh career round of 16. He is just one in five in this round. Now, it's his third time making the round of 16 at the Australian Open. He's never advanced beyond it. Losses to Djokovic, Sinner, respectively, the two times he's been here. Although, for what it's worth, it is the third consecutive season. Demon Hours made the round of 16, knocked on the door of trying to make a second week run. I mean, talk about, uh, and I'll preview this match more on the Great Shot podcast, which will come out Friday night here on the East Coast of the United States after those matches are finished, when I have some time to run the stats, etc., I mean, again, Rublev was exceptional in his match against Sebi Korda, whether it was just from a serve standpoint. He faced one break point in that match. And, you know, again, this match, I think, came down to, like, three different points. Obviously, Rublev, the success breaking serve, and just the depth he was able to generate on the return of serve didn't give Sebi Korda any time to have his feet set to hold his ground on the baseline because he was pressured by depth pace so consistently. I will say, again, twofold. Two points stick in my mind because I think if Sebi Korda takes that second set breaker as he was on the precipice of doing, then it's a completely different match. Sebi Korda, five all, on serve, hits an excellent approach shot, has an opportunity to move forward, gets a high backhand volley, goes back at Andre Rublev trying to sneak one behind him instead of playing it to the open court. Rublev guesses correctly, beats Korda to the spot on the pass or draws a volley error from Korda on the next volley and beats him with that pass. Now 6-5 Rublev instead of 6-5 Korda. Korda plays an exceptional point, exceptional point to get the mini break back, force another change over six all in the breaker. Six, seven then, Sebi Korda's serving, but you're back on serve in that tie break. Korda overcooks a forehand approach, and that kind of speaks to the pressure Andre Rublev was putting on him, that Korda felt the need to go so big with such fine margins towards the sideline with that forehand approach. Again, Rublev played excellent tennis. He faced just one break point in this match, but two decisions there. Sebi Korda makes that forehand. Sebi Korda goes line with that backhand volley. I really do wonder if this might have been a different match. And so, again, Andre Rublev, after being pushed to five sets in round number one, he has steadied the ship in straight set wins over guys with big weapons to push him and Chris Eubanks and Sebi Korda in rounds two and three. Now he gets the demon, the speed demon, Alex Demonauer, a completely different test. It's an away match for him as well. Again, he's going to face not a hostile crowd, but certainly a partisan pro-demon hour crowd. That might be the most fed. Not might. That's the best match we've gotten of the tournament to date. Any draw. I know how fascinating Colin Sviantek was. I know how fascinating Purcell Rude was. And I think that's the best example to turn to because you had an Aussie you had an Australian man inspired by the crowd to play his best tennis against a higher-ranked foe. You get the varsity, the maximum version of that in a top-10 guy, Alex Diemenauer, taking on a top-5 guy in Andre Rublev. Buckle your seatbelts. As of right now, Rublev, 58.3% favorite, but we'll get into that one more again as we get into our preview of day number eight. Last but not least, and this has to be mentioned as you look at the top half of the draw, and I know I'm kind of rapid-firing through all of the seeds here who won in straight sets. We'll get back to the four-set winners a little bit later, but that was by far, by far, by far 
the best performance we've seen from Stefano Tsitsipas in 2024, and it wasn't particularly close. And I know it generated the tweet from Nick Kyrgios, storylines, results, controversies. This counts as a, worth a mention on the mini break. Kyrgios, who's doing commentary for ESPN, we can discuss that at a different time when we have a guest, uh, talk, tweeted out that he thinks Tsitsipas is going to win this event. That is how well Tsitsipas was fa- uh, playing yesterday. Fights off eight of nine break points on his way to a three-love-and-four win over Luka Van Asha. Here's the thing. Van Asha is not a guy who generates pace at an elite level. And that contrast compared to the elite pace coming off of the serve-forehand combination that Tsitsipas threw just so successfully, point in, point out, at, at Van Asha— he overwhelmed Vanasha with his pace, with the weight of his shot, with his aggression, his frequency, uh, the frequent nature of him moving forward. I thought the backhand held up pretty well, although, again, Vanasha is a guy who absorbs, redirects pace, although clearly not this extent of pace. I think it exposed kind of the extreme nature of his grip against the elite pace that a guy like Tsitsipas and the guys at the top of the world can bring. Again, Keep in mind, Tsitsipas reached the finals of this event last year. He's made the semifinals multiple times. He always comes out of the gates of a season at his healthiest, at his fittest, at his mentally freshest as well. And he has rounded into form. After losing the first set in each of his first two matches, he looked excellent. Excellent in overwhelming Van Asha. Again, you look for the 19-year-old Van Asha to get to round three of a major. This was a massive result for him, regardless of what happened there. And on the other side, again, for all of these players, massive result for Echeverry, looking for hardcore success. Massive result for Baez, looking for hardcore success. I think for a guy like Kaboli, that kind of speaks pretty clearly uh, why he, Van Asha, 21 and under to approach career highs and make third rounds of majors for the first time, why that would be so significant to them. Corder's the one who's kicking himself because he wins that second set. Who knows where that match goes? And again, when he is playing his best tennis, we know what that level can be. He's not, he just felt a little stiff this month, movement wise. And again, for a guy who's dealt with so many different injuries, maybe that's not unsurprising. Obviously, when he is on his front foot, he can just dominate you with the weight of his shot still. Man, the top seeds Djokovic, Sinner, Rublev, Tsitsipas, Demonauer. Five top 10 seeds drop a combined zero sets on day number six. That's why it was so straightforward, folks. They looked the part of top 10 seeds, that top half of the men's singles draw. Again, three top ten, uh, top 16 seeds going head-to-head in that top half in the round of 16. And the other matchup is top seed Novak Djokovic against 20th-seeded Adrian Manorino. Yeah, we're in for a loaded round four in the top half of the men's singles draw. Storyline number two I want to get to, or headline number two, I should say, coming out of day number six. It's got to be Mira Andriva, right? And before we get to Mira Andriva, just to put the final bow on it, Andre Rublev, because I forgot to list these stats and I got them, so why not give them to you? Andre Rublev playing in his 13th career round of 16. Stefano Tsitsipas playing in his 12th career round of 16. Yannick Sinner, only 22 years old. He's into his 11th round of 16, and he's made at least the round of 16 at every major but one since the 2021 U.S. Open. Uh, no, excuse me, since the 2020 French Open. Nope, that's not right. Anyways, all but one since the 2021 U.S. Open is correct. The only one he missed the French Open last season. So that's what, four, eight, nine, ten of the last 11, however you want to put it. 
22-year-old belongs at the top of the game. Again, this is why we're emptying the clip on the stats here, just so I can stutter through it for all of you listeners. Demon Hour again into his seventh career round of 16, looking to make just his second career quarterfinal at the majors. Now we move on to Mira freaking Andreeva, who reaches her second career round of 16. She is 16 years old. She is into her second career round of 16. She overcomes a 5-1 third set deficit. So I guess we did have that to some extent yesterday. It wasn't Iga Sviantek, but it was 16-year-old Mira Andreeva from 5-1 down. She overcomes. She knocks off Diane Perry in a third set breaker. Uh, Andriva ultimately 1-6-6-1-7-6 win over the 21-year-old from France. This was a very junior match. And what do I mean by that? Well, the tactic was clear. High and heavy to the Diane Perry one-handed backhand. And Mira Andriva just was able, with enough consistency, with enough depth over time, particularly in that third set, with discipline, with patience, with focus— she was able to break down Diane Perry or at least frustrate Perry enough to where Perry felt the need to start forcing the issue. And that's when the spaces opened or the errors came. Again, this was a grind. She was 5-1 down. She was down 3-5, 30-40, serving as well, or 2-5, 30-40, excuse me, serving as well in that third set, down match point, and hit a bold, excuse me, backhand moving forward. I know I got the sniffles there a little bit. Uh, a bold backhand to move forward and draw an error from Perry and just, again, be aggressive, be willing to go down swinging in that moment when she broke back for 4-5, a long, disciplined, rally-tolerant sort of rally with depth and not really pace, but depth into that Diane Perry backhand wing. And then the moment Perry opened up a down-the-line lane, that's when Mira Andriva took it, beating her down the line to open up something easy on her forehand wing. To show this degree of discipline from the 16-year-old, I mean, are you kidding me? Just this is why she's so special. And again, 16 years old, she's already made the round of 16 at both Wimbledon and the Australian Open. What's the list of players in the last 30 years to reach both Wimbledon and Australian Open round of 16 before turning 17? I'm glad you asked. Thank you to our friends at OptaAce. The answer of that list, Tatiana Gullivan, Martina Hingis, and Coco Goff. That's the list of names Mira Andreeva now finds herself with. Well, Hengis is the best teenager we've ever seen in tennis, period. And again, arguably might have gone on to be the greatest women's tennis player of all time had she not suffered tragedy so early in her career. Coco Goff's already won a major as a teenager as well. I'll be honest, I'm a little less familiar with Tatiana Golovin, but uh, you look for Tatiana Golovin. For those of you who are more familiar with her, Golovin uh, was able to go on and win the 2004 French Open Mixed Doubles title. She reached at least round four at three of the four majors, career high ranking of number 12, which she reached by the time she was 20 years old. So yeah, that's a pretty special player. And if that's the floor for where Mira Andreeva goes from there, look out, pro tennis world, because again, the 16-year-old is just an elite athlete. She is exceptional mover for someone her height in particular. And again, she just has the goods. I think it's as simple as that. The serve, 
the way she competes, the way she finds different ways to attack opponents, if it's down the line, beating you to the spot with aggression, if it's having to grind you down like she had to do with Perry, absorbing, redirecting the plus one game of Perry, who showed off, by the way, her serve forehand combination can have success against anyone, regardless of what they're doing on the other side of the net. Again, Diane Perry had a match point. Very well could have won this match. Instead, it's Andreeva through to the second round of 16 in her career. And by the way, you look at this bottom half of the women's singles draw. Perry, uh, excuse me, Andreeva 16. Goff is 19. Kostyuk's 21. Timofeeva's 21 or 20. Anisimova, 22. Five of the eight remaining players in the bottom half of the draw are under the age of 23. This generational shift we have talked about so frequently over the last five years. Are we in the midst of another generational shift on the women's side? Is this next-gen 2.0 women's class of players so eager and so successful already that we got to start talking about them with more frequently at the frequency at the majors? Certainly looks to be the case here at this 2024 Australian Open. But again, the headline, Mira Andreeva from 5-1 down into her second career round of 16, where, of course, she will be joined by two of our top seeds in the bottom half of the draw. In fact, it's our top two seeds in the bottom half of the draw as both Coco Goff, Arena Sabalenka, cruise into round number four for Arena Sabalenka. She's now into the round of 16 for the 11th time in her career. How'd she get there? She won six love, six love. Not like, oh, that's cute, like a lopsided two and two victory. No, she won 0 and 0. Oh and oh over Lucia Serenko yesterday, under an hour on court. I mean, her power tennis wasn't good. It wasn't great. It was overwhelming. There was absolutely zero Lucia Serenko could do. Lucia Serenko's number two in break percentage amongst top 100 WTA players over the last 50 weeks. Oh and oh, Arena Sabalenka. Oh and oh into the round of 16 for the 11th time in her career. She has not missed a round of 16. This is her sixth straight, excuse me, round of 16 appearance at the majors. By the way, she's won her last five round of 16 matches, so she's made five straight quarters or further at the majors. Now make it six straight round of 16s at the majors. As again, she advances to this round for the 11th time in her career for Coco Goff. She's into the round of 16 for the 10th time in 18 career majors played. Let me say that again. She's played 18 career majors and she is into round number four for the 10th time. 10 out of 18 second week appearances at majors for someone who is still 19 years old. That is a ridiculous degree of success. And look, 0-2 yesterday, she knocks out Alicia Parks. All due respect to the 23-year-old American, she just didn't have it. Like The consistency was not there where it needed to be. Her game broke down against the pace, the physicality, all things Coco Goff. The serve wasn't there for Parks either. A few double faults littered in as well. You just can't give Goff anything that free. But man, 10 round four appearances, 10 second week appearances at the majors in 18 um, in 18 slam main draw appearances for Goff, still 19 years old. Eight straight wins to kick off her 2024 season again. Ridiculous. Ridiculous. Again, there's a reason Tennis Abstract has her as the second favorite behind Iga. It gives Iga a 41.5% chance of winning this event. Coco Goff right now, 26.9% chance ahead of Arena Sabalenka. It's going to be interesting that when they go head-to-head, if Goff will be the favorite. I mean, again, she's like 32-4 and four since the start of the City Open, but... 
Sabalenka. I mean, just no one out. Lucia Serenko. Anyways, these two are clearly on a collision course for the semifinals. They're playing that well. The draw has opened up accordingly. I will say, Sabalenka does have power tenant. You never know. And Amanda Nisimova can swing. Well, you know, again, I guess we can use this to get to the other storylines, the other things you might have missed, the things from the other matches we saw unfold on day number six. We'll kind of rapid fire through them all now. Look, credit to Amanda Nisimova, who with this run to the round of 16. She's into her sixth round of 16 in 17 appearances in May draws at the majors. Again, given how much time the 22-year-old has missed during her career, she's made at least week two, uh, she's made at least the start of week two at a third of the majors she's played in her career. That speaks to the talented ball striker that she is, by the way, in making uh, the Second week at this event, she's up 228 spots, back up to 214 in the live rankings. I think we all know uh, her level is a little bit higher than that. And look, had to overcome an early break deficit, ultimately 7-5-6-4. Anisimova, who was clearly hurting in that first set, she just... Big, again, it was power tennis her way through a very much informed Bedosa. I thought Bedosa played very smart tennis. She played with depth down the center, didn't create any easy angles of attack for Anisimova, waited for Anisimova to open up the court before she got Anisimova stretched. But sometimes, again, you dance with the devil, the devil's going to burn you. And there were times when she would play down the center where it would just sit up a little bit too much. And again, Anisimova can still crack the ball so cleanly. So much pace behind her serve as well. Anisimova, again, set, uh, sixth time in 17 majors. She has reached week number two at a Grand Slam event. How about Barbara Krachikova? From a set down, she's into her seventh career round of 16 at the majors, three and three in her career. It's her third time do, uh, reaching the round of 16 in Australia. Uh, Krechikova, again, from a set down, ultimately able to grind her way four six seven five six three over talented lefty Storm Hunter, or big hitting, excuse me, Storm Hunter. It was a must-have win for Krechikova, again, to steady the ship after such an up-and-down 2023 season to get a couple of come from behind three set victories just again it's exactly what she needs from a confidence boost standpoint to kick off this year I thought slowly but surely she calibrated her way into that match again the lefty didn't make anything comfortable for Krechikova yet Krechikova in the end able to fight her way over the finish line uh, again, other matches you might have missed on the women's side. How about Maria Timofeeva, the Russian into the top 100 live of the, of the live rankings for the first time? Timofeeva, the 20-year-old, sitting at 100 exactly, up 70 spots as she pulls off the upset of the day in the women's draw, 7663. She's just some sort of athlete. Again, I, I, I don't want to just keep repeating myself as it relates to Timofeeva and my reflections on watching her play, but the harder the ball comes at her, the more pace she's able to generate. Again, the, I will continue to make this comparison. She is a less volatile, maybe even slightly more explosive Putensiva. And that player has a place in the top 50. Just again, she can do a little bit of everything and absorbs, redirects pace so well. Loved the heavy lefty topspin forehand of Haddad Maya coming into her backhand wing. We're all buying stock in Timofeeva. She had never won a main draw match at a Grand Slam 
prior to the start of this Australian Open. Obviously, now she finds herself in the second week of a major for the first time and into the top 100 uh, for the first time again. Eight and three now in her career at the majors, including qualifying three and zero in major main draw matches. Hey, she's undefeated. Can say that at least uh, at this point. Again, first career round of 16 for her. First career second week uh, at the majors, and then. Last but certainly not least, shout out Magdalena Frech. She is into the second week of a major for the first time in her career. Three-set win for her. She's now up to a new career high, 49 in the live rankings uh, after she successfully knocks off Zaharova, 4-6-7-5-6-4. And then shout out to Marta Kostyuk, the 21-year-old Ukrainian who I said, make or break year. Let's see if that upside is still there. Grinds her way back. Over again, a very much a very solid Alina Avanesian who just couldn't create as easily, as freely as Kostya could. Kostyuk's weapons, the more successful down the home stretch, two six six four six four victory for the Ukrainian to advance to her second career round of sixteen. But of course, her first in two and a half seasons, as her first career and only other round of sixteen came back at the twenty twenty one French Open. Kostyuk up to a new career high thirty one in the live rankings as a result. And by the way. I love these matchups. I can talk myself into it. 21 versus 20-year-old. Kostyuk versus Timofeeva. A lot of athleticism on that court. Goff versus Frech. Again, going to be some extended rallies. I worry Goff better at everything than Frech. Not surprised to see her as a 92.6% favorite. If you like power tennis, Anisimova Sabalenka will have that in spades. And then... Look, Krechikova and Driva is a heck of a contrast of styles. So across the board, it's a really fun bottom half of the women's singles draw. Those were your round of 16 results. Uh, round of 16, excuse me. Those are your round of 16 matchups in your day six women's singles results. On the men's side, just three more to clean up on. The steadiness of Adrian Manorino wins out. 7-6-1-6-6-7-6-3-6-4. Uh, Manorino ultimately able to advance to the round of 16. Here's a fun fact about the 35-year-old Frenchman. Manorino into just his fifth round of 16 at the majors in his career. He did it at Wimbledon 2013, 2017, 2018. Made the fourth round of this Australian Open in 2022 and now makes the fourth round of the Australian Open this year as well. Has never advanced past this round. Losses to Nadal, Federer, Djokovic. No shame in those. And then probably wants that 2013 Wimbledon back when he was 25 years old where he loses five sets to Lucas Kubat. Obviously, Kubat, a massive 2013 Wimbledon. We all remember, but... Again, what a massive moment for Manorino. Now 46-29 and 29 over his last 52 weeks has just been... He's playing the best tennis of his career, and thus it's not a shock to see him at a new career high, 17 years old. The 35-year-old was just steady enough down the home stretch to weather the weaponry of Ben Shelton. I mean, again... 7-6-1-6-6-7-6-3-6-4. That was a very fun match to watch. Just a lot of fun shot making and a very fun contrast of styles as well. Shout out to Taylor Fritz, who said at the start of the season, I'm playing my way into Shapel. He's played his way into a fourth career round of 16 at the majors. Fritz, ultimately a four-set victory. He drops the first, but takes the last three in a 3-6-6-4-6-2-6-2 win over Fabian Marazan. His pace just overwhelmed uh, the 24-year-old Hungarian over time, who clearly just wasn't accustomed to seeing that ball come back so deep, so heavy, time after time. Any second serve he hung, Fritz just punished. I thought the Fritz serve in particular, Marazan a little bit handsy, and you kind of saw that get exposed when that ball came in so hot on the serve. But 
look, I'm still buying stock in Fabian Marazan coming out of this major. And you look for Marazan, obviously, by making the round three at a major for the first time. He's up to a new career high, 57 in the live ranking. Still, that was this is a big result for Taylor Fritz, who clearly wasn't playing his best coming into the event. And now all of a sudden, uh, not only finds himself in his fourth career, second week at a major. And again, at least gets a shot at the big dog in his section, right? As next up, uh, Taylor Fritz going to take on seventh seeded Stefano Tsitsipas. Fritz is actually a 50.3% favorite as of right now, according to Tennis Abstract. Last but certainly not least, uh, shout out to you, Karen Hatchinov, into another second week at the Majors. This is his quietly 11th second week at the Majors in his career. And obviously, you look at the success he's had. You throw out last year's U.S. Open, which he was coming back off of injury from. He's made week week uh, two of the majors, excuse me, in the last four majors he's played where he's been healthy. And uh, that speaks to, again, this renewed reinvigorated, dare I say, second prime Hatchinov has saw uh, has found at age 27 and obviously gets the title monkey off of his back at the end of last season. Hadn't won a title since the 2018 Paris Masters before winning that late season 250. Again, you know exactly what you're going to get from him, but that physicality, that serve, that forehand, he was just the one, his weight of shot was too much for Thomas Mahak, uh, who was just too reactive and couldn't generate uh, enough pace in a proactive nature to pressure Hatch enough with the consistency you need to do. Again, this was a very tightly contested matches, 6-4-7-6, Hatch grinding his way through, again, 11th career second week at the majors uh, for Karen Hatchinov and Again, Djokovic Manorino, Fritz Tsitsipas, Sinner Hatchinov, Rublev Demonauer. Those are your top half men's round of 16 matches. On the bottom half, you could have a world where we have Alcaraz Paul, Rude Zverev, Medvedev Dimitrov, and Hercots Greek Spore joining them, or even Umber Greek Spore. Sign me up for that. This Australian Open has delivered, and thus we will continue to deliver you coverage day in, day out to help keep you up with all of the action so that you don't miss out on any detail. Of course, if you're looking for preview content, head on over, excuse me, to our Great Shot podcast feed where I preview each and every day's schedule of singles matches. Of course, a shout out as always to our super producer, Daniel Westoff, for the (laughs) of an editing job he does day in, day out, making all of our content possible. A friendly reminder, speaking of content possible, uh, we've got our first college tennis broadcast of the season. 4 p.m. Eastern time, it starts on the Watch ESPN app. So as you get ready to enjoy your Australian Open action, come join us as we enjoy one of the first college tennis matches of the 2024 season. With all that said, though, a thank you, as always, to our friends at TennisPoint, Tennis-Point.com. The promo code is CR15. For now, though, for our fantastic super producer, Daniel Westhoff, our friends at TennisPoint, from all of us here, Apple Crack Rackets and the Tennis Channel Podcast Network, I'm your host, Alex Gruskin. We say that's the break, and we'll talk to you all tomorrow. Thanks, everyone.